Welcome to Cooperville. Do you know what's fun to do in Cooperville? Pack up your shit and get the fuck out. Listen. www.welcometocooperville.com <laughs> Who the fuck says www anymore? I can't even say it. www. <laughs> Stop that. The Welcome to Cooperville podcast. On demand anywhere quality podcasts are available. And some places where cheap podcasts are available. And the local gas station has some. Subscribe. Get updates. Feel better about your life. Welcome to Cooperville.com. Welcome to Cooperville. Make sure you use a coaster. The wife gets upset when we leave rings on the tables. In three, two, one. He is the preaching Rican. He is Carlos Ricard, CJ. He has got an amazing story that I'm so glad that entered into my universe because if you've been following the podcast and and to all of you who have been following it, I, I truly appreciate you going on this uh, this journey with me, uh, but when you get the chance to talk to some people and you have them on and you have a conversation and they're like, "You here's what you need to talk to this individual, or you need to have this person on your podcast." And uh, and Jim Lucas, who, who was on episode 36 of the podcast from Chip Magnet Salsa, we wrapped up and and he was giddy as Jim Lucas can be, and he was like, yeah. "You know who you need to have on here? You need to have on the preaching Rican." And now he is here. Uh, CJ, hello. Welcome to uh, the Welcome to Cooperville podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me, bud. Thank you. It's a, it's my pleasure. No, it's uh, it's mine because I, like I said, when Jim kind of led me to the gate, uh, actually, first first Jim yelled at me because that's what he does. Um, yeah. I I have been, and, and we kind of talked about a little bit about this during uh, before we started recording here, and I went, I am going through because mine, I consider myself on a journey right now. Uh, Fitness became a big part of that, and and kind of changing my habits uh, really has opened up this this whole new world for me. So I started doing like really things that were outside of my wheelhouse, like getting up at three or four o'clock in the morning, and going running, really no matter what the conditions are. And as part of my self accountability of that journey, I was putting up videos on Instagram of, you know, it's four forty and it's you know thirty seven degrees, and here we are, you know, running you know a couple miles uh, through the sprawling metropolis of Altoona. And so yeah. Jim was like, I want to say thank you for posting those videos because it makes me feel like shit. And then it makes me get up and go and, and, and hit the treadmill for a little bit. So that's the point. Uh, yeah. It, that, that's, <laughs> I mean, you know, know inadvertently, that's what kind of exactly it, it helped, you know, it helped inspire him and, and some others too. And, and when he mentioned that, you know, you had these, uh, these videos that you were doing on a daily, um, you know, I started checking them out and, and we, we finally connected and got you on, but Man, to read the story behind it in your bio, man, this is um, this is going to be one of those episodes. I have a feeling just going into it that when you when people get done listening to this, they are going to look at things that they title obstacles in their life, brick walls, the can'ts. You know, I can't do that because this is in the way. They're going to hear your stories of the things that you've overcome, and they're going to look at their excuses as, well, I'm pretty sure I can, you know, if, if CJ can get through that, I'm pretty sure I can get through mm, 6am is too early or it's too cold or, but I'm going to miss my favorite show because you have an incredible story that I can't wait to, uh, to dive into. So, um, 
you know, with that. Thank you. Where, where, like, originally, where are you? Are you from this area? Or are you from out of the great state of Wisconsin? Where are you from? Um, I've been here nine years, but mm. I'm from the East Coast. I'm an East Coast boy. Uh, I was born in Puerto Rico, though, yeah. but I left there when I was, I'd say, about three years old. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, those two states. Right. And you had uh, not what you would call the most ideal childhood, and that is probably putting it as lightly as somebody has ever phrased it to you. But yeah. it, tell me about the growing up. I mean, it, it 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 was a struggle. I think, you know, a lot of kids, I, I look at my child, you know, my child, and I say, "Man, you have it good. You got, you yeah. got all the technology. You got all the, you know, the knowledge at your fingertips. You got a house. You got the food that you want, and you're picky you have about no that. idea. And <laughs> and I, you know, I reflect back at mine, and it was it wasn't as great as he has it, but you know, my struggles were not, you know, they're very, but they were very first world. And sure. And so to to, I just I want you to you know kind of expound upon growing up and and kind of how it led you down some very scary paths and starting at a young age and even into uh, into your 20s. Um, well, before I do that, here's my my philosophy, right? And what I, this is what I discovered mm-hmm. um, after doing speeches and meeting young adults and, you know, high school kids or whatnot. Um, you know, I, I yes, I went through a lot. I had to overcome a lot. I mean, at an early age. But at the end of the day, you know, Timmy didn't have that kind of upbringing, you know, obviously either was privileged or better or, you know, less issues. But when Timmy was depressed, when Timmy was sad, when Timmy was suffering, Timmy was suffering just as much as I was suffering during that process. Mm -hmm. You know, the emotions, the same, rather it's the perspective of the individual Mm -hmm. who, you know, okay, yeah, Timmy, you're suffering unnecessarily because I'll show you what real suffering is. Right. So, um, you know, and it's easier to relate and understand people, you know, cause I'm from the hood and when I moved to the burbs, I saw a different dichotomy of life. It's a whole different culture. And, um, you know, obviously at first it was the standard, uh, stereotypes and, and, you know, prejudices where these, you know, white kids, whatever, they're right. crying like babies. But when I got to the root of it and I went to the homes and I saw how their lives were literally affecting their mental health, mm-hmm. I, uh, I was like, these guys you know, are a little loose up there as much as I'm loose up there. So it's like, you know, they didn't go through what I went through, but I can see it had an effect on them as much as it had on me. So, but either or, um, you know, I was born in Puerto Rico in the projects. Um, my, my, my mom and dad met, you know, college. I was a oops baby. And, um, you know, not long after, I was born, but I was born, you know, hospital right to the projects. Mm-hmm. My mom moved from the States behind my dad's back when Ron was three years old. She just didn't like the living situation. And, you know, she was one of one of 15 kids. Wow. So but the most rebellious one. <laughs> so you weren't telling my mom anything. Right. You know, she could, you know, obviously back in the day you were raised that uh, the guy you, you knocks you up. That's the guy you're with. Mm-hmm. You're screwed uh, marrying and good luck. So she didn't really uh, like the living situation, so she bounced. And we moved to the States. Now, again, one of 15, so there were a lot of aunts and uncles that were living here in the States already. So her natural idea, without giving anybody a heads up, was, I mean, start showing up at, you know, some sister's house or whatnot. Um, You know, they weren't too keen on having, uh, you know, obviously their younger sister, which the most rebellious one, and with such a huge generation gap Mm -hmm. that... They, there was no connection there. 
so she overstayed her welcome. We were homeless, uh, homeless here, home, homeless there. But, you know, it's it's difficult to, you know, understand when you're a child, uh, you know, how, how trauma, how mm-hmm. fear, how seeing something that your mind can't wrap itself around, how much that affects you physically, you know, biologically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one incident I saw mom, you know, we were leaving, we were walking, it's like a summer day, but we were walking to the bodega, which is a you know, grocery store, a little small ma and pa shop. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some lady, some girl, whatever, yelling at her, swearing, I have no idea, but she pulls out a knife oh. and it's me, my mom and a friend of hers. So her friend comes and kind of, you know, takes me to the side um, to protect me. And now I see my mom in a confrontation with the lady who's not only being, you know, aggressive, verbally aggressive, you know, violent, she has a knife in her hand. So I'm just scared to death. Um, My mom, you know, being as witty and cunning as she is, she's she's no joke. So she kicked this lady's hand, knife fell off and pounced on her and started just ground and pound. Boom, Mm. boom, 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 boom. And the next thing you know, people are off. You know, that's just like the first incident. My first memory as a child, three years old, my first memory was, uh, being in a house I didn't remember till I turned 30, started writing my book. Um, I'd kind of add two and two together, but now I know what the scenario was. I was in my grandmother's house and I was uh, watching these men at a table, grownups, drinking beer, laughing, joking, and then passing around this this key and just putting it to their nose and just passing around, having a good old time. And I'm just curious, they can't see me, I'm in the corner. But I, you know, every now and then I run up and down, act like a little kid, and go back and hide and see, observe, observe what they're doing. At the end of the day, they leave and uh, leave me there with someone who was watching me, and I naturally go look for this key. Mm. I'm like, what is this magical key? So I take the key and I emulate these guys, and I put it to my nose. I didn't inhale, but I'm like, well, whatever, whatever was going on isn't effective. Whatever. So I put the key back and went about my business. Right. You know, it's my first memory as a human being. So, you know, some people have their, you know, walks at the, you know, at the blueberry orchard or the apple orchard or, you know, with grandmas. That wasn't mine. So that just set the precedent Mm -hmm. for my life. And, you know, from there, it was violent incident after violent incident. Just seeing my mom go through homelessness, packing our bags in the middle of the night because she was kicked out of someone's home and, you know, having her stare outside the window and pray to this or talk to this invisible man that, I had no idea who the hell she was talking to, but cry, you know, looking at the sky, just asking for help. And uh, then we moved to the projects in Hartford, Connecticut in the 80s. Mm-hmm. This was, uh, you know, crack epidemic. Right. This was this was the 80s where uh, in Connecticut, it was the worst project, the most violent project in the state. So much so that the local state uh, state police and police department had to hire, had to call in the FBI to help because they was just it was insane latin kings against solids so i saw my first death i think at the age of six um you know gunshots and and obviously you hear gunshots you go in the house i'm hiding but uh curiosity obviously i'm looking up and you know see this guy walk out of this abandoned you know apartment just crawling you know Mm -hmm. and uh well that was that um you know just again traumatic incidences where you see death, you see violence, you know, uh, couples arguing and the guy throwing in a, a, a two of baby pitbulls inside the house of his ex-girlfriend who mauled to death a shih tzu 
and locked her out of the house. And me, and I was a hyperactive, curious little little kid, group of people in the projects, this girl screaming bloody murder, I need help, I need help. And uh, the windows were barred. So I was a little guy, so you know, I was probably the only ones that could probably fit, fit in there. So I attempted to fit inside so I can pull the window up and unlock the door. Again, I'm six years old, right. but I witnessed these pit bulls making a bloody mess of the Shih Tzu. Couldn't get in, and a memory that never, never left. Mm. Um, you know, my mom had mental Ill, mental health issues, so she, again, the most rebellious lady who didn't really get much love growing up and didn't get uh, trained how to be a parent, became an oops parent mm. with not not just any kid, but a, a, a hyperactive, smart kid who witnessed so much at a young age that he was a little bit ahead of his time. And, uh, you know, needless to say, it was, you know, a childhood full of abuse, um, entered the education system in the 80s from a kid, you know, minority in the projects mm -hmm. and who went to the school, which was like two blocks away from the projects. Um, I, I, I got held back in kindergarten, if you can believe that. Wow. In kindergarten. So... You know, my motor mouth, my hyperactivity and all that stuff kind of uh, didn't uh, didn't fit well in the system of conformity that they want you to fit into. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I, you know, whatever, I went to first grade. And in first grade, a teachers noticed my potential. One of them at least did. Um, so I had the ability to jump to the third grade if I performed and passed these certain tests. I never got to do it because I was too hyperactive mm. and I couldn't stop talking in a meeting one day a parent teacher meeting um, with my mom ended up meeting my stepdad another guy and it was a uh, mom stepdad and me in the middle and I will never forget the teachers because there was two at the first grade one of them telling my, uh, my my parents that Carlos has the potential to be a to do good things and be a great human being right but he also can be one of the worst criminals you've ever met. So that's all my mom needed to hear before, you know, to unleash his years of ass whooping on me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, only kid, lonely, grew up uh, secluded from, you know, I, I had this, uh, my brain, I had this inclination to constantly observe body language and, you know, I guess self-preservation, hypervigilance. Right because you've seen so much. Mm -hmm. um, so I studied people. That's all I did was study people. Every single thing they did, said, how they walked, talked, what they dressed, um, you know, what the, what words came out of their mouth and how their body reacted to these words and what their intentions were, what angles were, just everything about you, a person. Um, and, you know, I, I, uh, I use that as a, as a way to just understand my mom, my life, you know, my environment, why I was I was a good kid. I mean, I was really a good kid. I didn't like fighting. I didn't like violence. I didn't like any of that stuff. You know, you would think after seeing so much, I would be cruel. But I was naturally born an empathetic kid. I, I feel other people's emotions and can relate. So, I, um, you know, I was thrown into an education system that labeled me the troublemaker, the class clown, the bad kid. Right. And you know, when you start that at an early age, and you and you know you have potential, but you're but your, your, your hyperactivity and all the negatives overshadow that, you know, after a while you say, well, then I guess if I'm the bad kid, then I guess I'm the bad kid, man. I mean, right. I'll, I'll be exactly what you want me to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's what I became, you know, 
And then, you know, years of ass whipping continued, ran away from home when I was, uh, when I was in fifth grade, fearing that my mom was going to unleash the worst ass whooping in the world on me. Mm. Um, she hit, you know, she beat me up pretty bad once. Um, you know, and then, uh, the divorce happened. Yeah. Uh, well, my sister was born in between uh, when I was nine, but, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you when she met one of the the blessings of my life is she met this man who was really cold to me, didn't show me much love, especially after the, he was a Dominican guy and really rigid, you know, hard around the edges and had this uh, model of, of life that uh, he had to constantly feel the need to be validated and impress others, right. you know, have a position, have something that people can respect. So when I couldn't be disciplined, he pretty much checked me off and said, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but the benefit of it was they busted their asses. They get, We went from the projects to a apartment complex to a duplex to a single family home within so many years. And, you know, I, I did band. Mm -hmm. I did chorus. I uh, did karate. I played t-ball. I did a lot of things that kids in the hood never get to experience. Right. But I, they bought me everything I wanted. Life was good from the outside in. Mm. Inside, she just smacked. I mean, it's just abuse, mm. verbal abuse. It was just terrible mm -hmm. and um, lonely because you didn't have any siblings in there. My sister was a newborn baby, so there was nothing you know we could relate to. So, um, years of that created uh, anger, bro. Like mm. just rage. Yeah. You know, when you're oppressed for so long by the person that you're told that you have to love and that's supposed to love you mm -hmm. and, um, you know, supposed to care for you and all that stuff. Well, you know, you're obviously a kid. You're trying to make sense of everything. So this person who you can't say a peep to beats you up, smacks you in public, smacks you in front of friends, uh, embarrasses you everywhere you go and makes fun of you, uh, verbally insults you like, you, know, you shouldn't be born. I wish I aborted you, da, 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 all these horrible things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, after trying so many years to get their approval, you become a teenager and you just say, you know, fuck it. Right. What what what's the point? Yeah. I don't you know. But what what put that into overdrive was a divorce. Mm -hmm. You know. Um she lost the image of what a dream you know, she had this fairy tale life that she worked her ass to create and was very superficial. Yeah. And um, he, you know, went and found another lady behind her back. And, uh, you know, she lost it, man, after the divorce. She just like a part of her. Her dreams were crushed and she left them back in Hartford, Connecticut. And we moved to Lowell, Mass, one of the poorest uh, towns in yeah. the state. Um, but Lowell, you know, Lowell, Mass is also where the fighters from Lowell, Mass, you know, Lowell has a history. Right. right. So I was a kid from Hartford, Connecticut, teenager, 13 year old boy moving single family home, my own room, everything was dope, a waterbed, and now I'm living into like in the closet of my room, mm -hmm. dealing with the rage, now depression, anxiety. My brain had created, my brain had molded into something of like, uh, you know, like a, like a rushing river, man, just like a, if I needed to think, I had to concentrate to catch thoughts. Only thing that helped was smoking weed. Yeah. So I did that when I was 11. And, uh, you know, it's the streets, man. You're in the hood. Yeah. You're poor. Mom is losing her mind with this dude, that dude getting drunk. You name it. I'm stuck with my sister when she's out clubbing on weekends. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm trying to skate. I'm yeah. trying to get the hell out.
So I went to the streets and met people, you know, thought I was like 21. I was a 14 year old, 13 year old puny kid. Then uh, she sent me off to Puerto Rico. Uh, I, met, I eventually met my dad when I was 11, but uh, she eventually sent me off to him. And, you know, that uh, that that did it like that. Puerto Rico, I love it. Obviously, it's 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 my it's where I'm, I'm from. Mm. Love my people. I mean, there's just a, a, a million and one things why I love him. But um, it's the real deal, man. It's right. not, you know, it's like Chicago. It's the real deal. Yeah. And um you know, I saw death. I saw dudes get shot, killed. I saw him alive, fight for his life, and then die with his eyes open. You know, I saw a, a lady who had known that went missing, her body, you know, floating down the river, just swollen up. Um, I was shot at, feared for my life. I was a 14-year-old kid thinking, like I said, thinking I was a boss. You know, obviously I got into hip-hop. Hip hop was like my my therapy because yeah. the only the only you know growing up in the urban city with your cousins and people being like a hip hop and everything like that it uh you know it 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 showed me everything that I wanted to become because you like that kind of lifestyle you get respect you get ladies mm -hmm. you get money you get fear ain't nobody gonna mess with you right. you know you the gears dope mm -hmm. um you get to do whatever the hell you want. And um, that was it. Hip hop was my thing. So I was 14 thinking I was a thug, you know. But once I left Puerto Rico and moved back to Lowell, these kids were playing, you know, checkers. Yeah. Lowell, they thought they were gangsters. I'm like, you guys know nothing. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, I went back to the hell that I left with my mom. And then that was it. That was it. It was, you know, something had snapped. Something I had lost something and uh i became extremely desensitized mm -hmm. and it was survival mode yep that was one side because i'm like a, a paradoxical anomaly i'm a walking contradiction on the other end i had carlos the kid the empathetic nice kid the kid who was living in his world in his brain internally but externally you know you thought he was one thing right and uh yeah i got worked i mean i was you know i was trying to do my my thing just trying to create some sort of positivity in my life, you know, over the hell that I was living, but living at home wasn't cutting it. My mom was just losing it, you know, she was just treating me like shit. And then uh, I was, you know, I planned my own suicide at 15. Yeah, uh, you know, did that. And then I had a little moment with the big man upstairs that kind of put a stop to that right when I was about to do it. And then uh, homelessness, man, listen, <laughs> I could talk your ear off about this forever. So. That's like at least my my life up to the age of fifteen. You talked about survival, I think, right there uh, towards the end of that, and all the things that you witnessed, you know, with with your own eyes as a young child, fragile mind. I mean, that's uh, the stages of development of the brain happen. You know, you obviously learn. You you get the word love, and it's supposed to have one meaning one connotation yet the example that is set before you of okay this this now becomes kind of your this is what love is and it's getting your ass kicked and it's getting verbally abused and 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 then all the negative vibes that go along with it and all of a sudden those words start to attach themselves to the word love you're like well love is this love is this love is all these things and you know the survival thing and, and survival tactic you know kind of becomes you got to take care of your own shit 
and yeah. by you know, and and I'm sure we'll get into it, but by whatever means necessary, because you obviously at that point at that age, the travel uh, back and forth from Puerto Rico back up to Lowell, the things that you saw down there, the things that you witnessed in Connecticut, you know, and the support system that clearly was not around you, you know, there was not, you know, that uh, that model. Of, of what a human should eventually evolve to be, uh, at least by even by mediocre standards. Here's what you should grow up, and you should, you know you should be this. Well, and here's how you I, treat people. I, I had that. I mean, right. the, Keep in mind, stepdad, yeah. you know, TV. Right. Yeah, I yeah, used to yeah. stay up late at night and watch. I watched Roseanne. I watched The Cosby Show. Mm-hmm. I watched you know Married with Children. I watched uh, you know uh, uh, Growing Pains, Full House. I had an understanding what a functioning. You know, three families have problems, but at the end, right, it, it all works out. Yeah, half hour. We solve all, was. We solve all that it, stuff in a half hour. That's it. Yep. It's all solved, you know. Uh Becky messed up, but uh Roseanne, you know, washed it up and what it's just the way it was. Yeah. And um I I and I I had other people who felt bad for me, mm-hmm. you know, like an aunt who saw it, but people were just too afraid to step up because my mom was no joke. Right. And um you know, when the person that when, when when you have to protect yourself from your own mother, the person that you shouldn't even think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't even trust that person. Right. You know that who are you going to trust? Who, who who can't screw you up? You know who can't mess with you? Um, that's where hip hop came into the business. You know, because ain't nobody going to mess with me. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's I guess that's what I'd say. No, I. I... I mean, to, to watch those kind of shows, and I, I recall, I, I think I recall that Becky episode, as a matter of right, fact. Right, right, right. <laughs> we had that. And that was, you know, I was a single parent family, you know, nothing compared to your story. But you, you did have, I think, this, especially in that time frame, you know, in that 80s into early 90s, like a lot of the sitcom stuff, a lot of things that were on TV really portrayed this the white picket fence kind of life, maybe married with children may be a little different, but still, you still had this, this conduit in a family home and it, it was all figured out in that, you know, 22 minutes of airtime that they had. Uh, and there was the 1.5 kids and there was the, Oh, here's the vacation episode. And uh, dad goes to work or mom say, and, and you kind of paint that as, okay, so that's what it's supposed to be like. That's what life is. When I get to a certain, it may not be like this for me now, but clearly, if it's on television, this must be where I need to place my trajectory in life to end up with this this box that I live in. And when something comes up, we figure it out, we solve the problem, we move on. Yeah. And you know, it was clearly. I think we both realized that is nece- not necessarily the case. It does not no. really work out like that in in reality. And I think you know, television and. And I think the things that, that kids interpret today have, have evolved more to really show some more of the realities of life. And that, that could be yeah. a good, you know, that, that's another argument. That could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. But, you know, when you have such harsh conditions uh, to live with and constant adjustment to live with and, and obviously access to, uh, you know, we get into the hip hop world or that lifestyle and or even what it takes to get there or what is perceived that it takes to get there. Yeah. Um, you know, that can lead you into some bad roads where not everybody who wants to live that lifestyle and tries to start off on the streets doing it gets to 
the Biggie Pac level, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Biggie being a good example of that is he was, you know, a dealer and then ended up obviously in the the height of his career as as perhaps one of the greatest MCs of all time. But 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 here, here's here's and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but no, it's kind of one of these things that it's like we all remember who we were as kids. Mm. We all know the geeky stuff we like, the cartoons, you know, the you know the Scholastic books and all. The, uh, all we we remember that. Mm. We know that a part of us. But then you get older, right? And you need to identify with. We need to create an identity. Mm. You need. You want to find approval and acceptance by some group, and. Um, Ultimately, because of the environment condition that you're in, you know, the culture does create, you know, it forces you to follow this model. Right. Mm -hmm. So. But we never lose that. I if you want to be a gangster, you start early. I'll guarantee you, you'll become a gangster. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt you pursue it. You will. You will be it. But don't play yourself because. Even the Hitler. Mussolini, the worst person, human being in the world has a good side. Mm. Everybody does. Right. Everybody does. You pay attention to one or the other and you give the other one, you know, one or the other a bigger, a bigger voice. But even Biggie, one of my favorite lyrics, he says, I know what it's like to wake up fucked up. Pockets broke as hell, another rock to sell. Mm. People look at you like user user, selling drugs to all the users, mad Buddha abuser. But they don't know about the stress filled day. Baby on the way, mad bills to pay. That's why I drink Tangeray so I can reminisce and wish I wasn't living so devilish. Mm. I mean, you can't put it any simpler than right. th than that. He, it's what are you gonna do? What's your alternative? Weak, being kind in the hood is weakness, man. You yeah. can't be nice. You, you can't you can't be all positive and stuff. You're right. gonna get eaten up by the sharks if you want to live in the streets. So it will produce a gangster if that's what you're going for. Very, very quick and very easy. You inject the constant music, the culture being the words, the lyrics in your brain with those, you know, harmonic, melodic beats just subduing you. Smoke a little bit of weed, drink a little bit of liquor. That's it. It's a wrap. Yeah. You're doing anything, you know. Yeah, it's, it, it. You fall into that that vision of of what it what it's like. You know, you're and and for you, I mean, you're. You know, you're a walk outside of your front door, you know, for, you know, suburban white kid, you know, listening to that music. It was like the, the vision was of just literally just the the ambiance of it with like mm -hmm. no understanding of what the romanticism. It yeah, it was the things you mentioned, the cars, the girls, a lot of girls, you know, this mm. lifestyle of like glam. And, you know, I think in, in that era, especially of hip hop, it was. All of a sudden, it went from you know saggy pants to three piece suits to kind of this, you know GQ fresh look, and mm -hmm. it was it was it was absolutely one hundred percent romanticized. But you were like, you walked outside your door, and that's where that's where it's real. I mean, that's where it's legit. That's where the shit's happening. That you know these guys are talking about, and you know you are, you know I, I what I'm trying to get into is where did it come as you're in this kind of teenage, obviously it's a very important age and what direction you're going to take your life. You know, mm -hmm. if you you know live by the 
standard model of society today, that's the time when they start talking about where are you going to go to college or where are you going to, yeah. what are you going to do next? You know, what, what's your plan after this? Like, I, I don't know. I, I was glad I woke up today, you know, on mm -hmm. time and made it to school, you know, but when you're in that environment and that outside influence is always there, you know, the music is obviously a part of that and you can open your door and again, look out and okay, here it is legit. Mm -hmm. Where do you start to make steps in the wrong direction that that leads you into some some bad spots for you in life as as an individual making bad choices? Um, you know, there's a thing called learned hope help helplessness, mm -hmm. learned helplessness, and um, it's to paraphrase, it's pretty much the belief that you know. Obviously, things are not going to going to get better, right. and that no matter how much you try, you succumb to the failures of not being able to succeed. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, you're helpless to change anything about it. That's the hood. That's yeah. the entire hood. I mean, a big part of it. So you have that mentality across everybody with a mean mug. Listen, they could be. The softest person inside wouldn't wouldn't harm a fly, mm -hmm. but when they step out that door, the mean mug, the gear, mm -hmm. the swag, the limp, and all that, you know, that's their way to repel other other people. So when I left Puerto Rico and came back, mind you, I grew up reading body language, understanding people. So mm -hmm. I kind of like I was always three steps ahead of other other people, especially those that were my my age. Right. Um, or my generation. So I knew I wasn't like a killer. You know, I wasn't like, a, you know, one of, I still felt some kind of way about doing a lot of bad stuff. Right. Um, I never robbed people. I never, you know, went and robbed the store or anything like that. Just that wasn't my, my swag. I had this level of integrity inside of me, this pride that I was like, you know what? I'm never going to stoop this low. But, uh, you know, anger kicks in and home was a nightmare. So I couldn't spend my time inside of my house in privacy, mm. you know, there, there wasn't any, um, school was an obligation because I had to go to school because right. if not, they get the truant officers on me. I was suspended. That was a vacation for me. Mm. The streets, I was hustling, but you know, you got your group of friends and, um, over time people separate your friend ends up joining a gang. That's your boy. Mm-hmm. What's my boy? What's what's this all about? They invite you to join a gang. And I was never the gang type. I was like, man, I always been alone. I don't need to be anybody to defend me. Right. But then you realize the the law of averages, right? I mean, it's like you're kind of outnumbered here. Mm -hmm. And if you want to survive, then you kind of got to do something because respect is what you're looking for. And if you're going to earn it, it's easier to earn it with a group of people than by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, because if shit goes down, you're defending yourself and that's it. And right. no one else is going to have your back. So, um, you know, I, after growing up in the education system, I had, I did not respect authority figures whatsoever. Right. Um, authority figures were a sign of oppression. They were trying to hold me down and tell me what to do and contain myself and all this nonsense. So, you know, that got me into a lot of trouble with the cops, uh, you know, getting arrested, stealing a stolen car, you know, uh, um, you know, minor possession, alcohol, you, you name it. Um, but. I, what, what really ended up defining my mentality and my pursuit of this lifestyle 
was that potential that the teacher said I had in first grade. Mm -hmm. But throughout the education system was just, it was mentioned, but nobody did anything to help it, to improve it, to guide it, to steer it, nothing. They were just like, well, you figure it out. If you don't figure it out, then uh, we'll just pass you and you figure it out the next grade. You're someone else's problem. That became useful for the older, for the OGs, Mm -hmm. for the dudes that saw something in this little dude. He's like, this guy, He's smarter than all these other, you know, peewees here. Um, he could offer something. Right. He has a different insight, different perspective. Um, his brain just works differently. So I was under their wing. They taught me this. They showed me that. My first gun was by an OG. My first uh, pound of weed was by an OG. My first kilo seed was by an OG. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I rolled around with these guys, and they were the Don Juan DeMarcos. Was no, there was nobody that was messing with them. Right. Nobody. Mm-hmm. So they can pull up anywhere, do anything, say anything, be anything, and uh, you had to deal with it. So, you know, that, is, that, that cemented the belief in me from first grade that I, there was, I had something. I had something. I had some potential. There was something inside of me. Everyone noticed whether it was good or, good or bad. Um, but shitty mom shitty environment school sucks because it wasn't doing anything for me um i you know i ended up being homeless right you know homeless roaming the, the, the streets so i became a product in the environment in externally projecting something i wasn't while internally feeling so helpless to do anything about it because there was no progress whatsoever very little po- positivity was misconstrued as getting laid you know, finding another dime bag to smoke and blaze with, with your boys and um, try to kill time. You're bored. And boredom is the is, is the worst thing for a human being to experience because when you're bored, that's when anything goes. Right. You would pretty much do anything. So um, that was life. That was the, the person that I was by the time I by the time my life changed and I moved from the hood to the burbs and that was around 16 years old you know when you a lot of people will hear this podcast and there would be i i was trying to keep track but i think about seven or eight that's that's where it's at at its worst <laughs> no wait no wait no there no, it is that's gotta no, be it right there, right there <laughs> that one no maybe no it'd be a combination of all of them so there's there's all of these you know downs step down, step down, step down, have a step up, another step down. And so you you kind of go through this. It doesn't feel like at this juncture of our conversation, like that. that's pretty damn. And any, I shouldn't say anybody, many people would say yeah. that was my rock bottom. When I hit homelessness, when I saw, yeah. you know, when I witnessed crawling through steal you know bars on a window yeah. and saw these two dogs tearing apart this other dog and i witnessed or the first dead body you saw or you know even even the jump back and forth even having to go from you know connecticut to you know massachusetts down back to puerto rico i mean those levels of just change in a youth in environment i mean you move from people in move from small city to small city or small city to big city and their kids are like oh, this is tragic my friends are back there and you're like, well, the only way you communicate with them these days is on your tablet anyway. So what does it make a difference yeah, if you yeah, actually exactly. see them in person? But all of the the bad things that happen, uh, environmental things, um, a failing school system, uh, 
you know, the promise of this potential and nobody accelerating it or even giving you the avenue, you know, Hey, you're, I think you have something special. Cool. What do you think it is? I don't know. It's, and then it just, that lingers, you know, that first grade year just lingers in your mind. And it's, it's always something there, which, which probably turned out, you know, and and we'll get to, you know, present day eventually, but that's that one thing that you're like, that one, one phrase, that one person, that one, that said that one thing. And it Mm -hmm. carried you through all of these rock bottoms. Mm-hmm. Like I said, six or seven so far. Yeah. <laughs> but where do you classify? When, when for you, as you recollect and look back, you know, from where, from your standpoint now, and we'll get to all the the amazing things that you've done in the more recent, as you've gotten through all this. But for sure. you looking back, and you say that was it. That was the moment where I was like, it's either, you I know, mean, almost that fight or flight. Like it's I'm either done. This is the end of the story, or I got a. I'm either going to go back to wherever I was at rock bottom and maintain mm-hmm. down there, or find mm-hmm. another rock bottom below that somehow, some way, mm-hmm. or I'm going to turn my shit around and yeah. you're going to watch this phoenix rise from you know the ashes of all of these rock bottoms combined. For you looking back, where is that moment where you're like that was that was when the change had to happen. That's when I had to put my life in perspective and and get up dust myself off and move forward in a more progressive manner? Um, you're, you probably will expect this, but it happened twice. Mm-hmm. The first time it took place, I was committed. I followed through and then I experienced something that rocked my world mm-hmm. and regressed me, you know, years. But, uh, Les Brown has, has, has a saying, he says, there are winners, there are losers, and there are people who just don't know how to win. Mm-hmm. I grew up, like my psychiatrist told me, you know, over a decade ago when I first saw one, um, my brain was, it was like a pot and it was being molded by the potter. Mm-hmm. And to me, I became a pot. I was a pot that mm-hmm. can hold water. But from the outside in, this pot was just disformed. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a pot that could hold water, but it was the ugliest pot in the world. Right. But I had no idea mm-hmm. I was a pot. My 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 purpose was being was being being served. I had no idea what being what getting my shit together looked like. I had right. no idea what living a good life. Yes, I knew the concept of it, mm-hmm. but I had no idea how to initiate it. I had no idea what the hell to do. So. There was an incident in junior high, um, in, in, in high school when I was a freshman that kind of introduced me to another world, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, I guess the Caucasian world, but a different world, different world. It happened in Lowell. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was, you know, shit was shit sucked naturally at home and in the streets. So school, I wanted to make it easy as possible. So there was a process where you could literally demote yourself. It was mainstream higher classes, and then you can put you go yourself lower, like one step above special ed. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, I don't need to fail with these expectations. I might as well just pass fairly easy. Mm-hmm. But by doing that, I was, you know, the one-eyed man in the land of the blind. So <laughs> I, I was just chilling, man. Yeah. But it didn't go unnoticed. Apparently behind my back, 
the you know the four teachers, you know, math, science, English, and uh, history, um, had planned to uh, do something about it and asked me to go to the room on a Friday. Here, I thought I was I did something. I'm like, I don't know what I did wrong. I'm, I'm sure it was something. So whatever, I'll just deal with it. And then uh, they tell me that there's a lot of potential in me. They see something, and um, they think I could compete with the honor roll quiz. And I'm like, you, you're talking to the wrong dude, man. You, you don't understand. I'm living with some pregnant chick in her house, okay, because I'm homeless, okay? You have no idea. Right. Not even my baby. I mean, you, you, my mom, listen, you're talking to the wrong dude. I can't do this. And they're like, um, no, we understand your living. We understand how life isn't easy for, for you. So we'll obviously give you, you know, some, some leeway and, and, and work with you and whatnot. But uh, you start on Monday. I'm like, now honor roll kids. These are the kids with the, that are, you know, what, with the bug out bags. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. With the 80 pound bags in the back, yeah. just getting from one class to the other, dude. These were not the, it's just were not the kids I have, whatever, right? So mm -hmm. I go in there and, you know, I got some shade at first because it's like, they're, these kids bust their ass to get to where they're at. Right. Here comes this kid from the hood, the only kid, the only Puerto Rican kid in that class who was hood. And I'm like talking about, uh, hey, I'm your new, you know, I'm your new peer now, and let's uh, let's get the show on the road. I'm a, I, I got a lot of charm, you know. Obviously, I know how to work with people. Mm -hmm. One of one of the reasons I'm alive this day is my ability to adapt to the environments that I'm put in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just because I had to, just just to survive. So, being able, you know, having read body language and know people so well, I um, I just knew how to adapt. So I kind of befriended them and. It was mad chill. And um, I was introduced to a world, man, to a world that my boys in the hood had no idea even existed. And we were talking about these kids come, you know, they live in a different town, you know, right. where the money's at, where we would go and steal bikes from. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what's the place. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and now I'm like these and I'm like their friend and they're inviting me to like to like keg parties and like, you know, high school football games in different towns and these white girls are telling me about the drunkenness and the white boys are telling me how crazy these white girls get. And I'm just like, you guys do so many drugs <laughs> and nobody knows about it. Like, yeah. it's like you live in this dope ass house and you live a good life. I can, I can barely smoke weed in peace in public or, you know, be with my boys without getting harassed by the cops, thrown against the fence and checked. Right. This is crazy. This is crazy. So, but that broke me in hmm. that, Open that exposed me to something that at one point, like watching the movie American Pie, you would fantasize about. You're like, dude, I would love to be with these crazy white boys and do these crazy things and, yeah. you know, do what they do. And now I'm being exposed to this. This is real. Mm -hmm. Then I got then I got sent. Uh, we went to uh, we, my mom had to go to a homeless shelter, Gloucester, Mass. And uh, this was right when I was entering sophomore year. And um 16-year-old kid, you know, seeing a glimmer of hope in honor roll classes, gets shoved from his environment, thrown into a foreign world, mm. with now predominantly Caucasian world, of people, we're talking about Abercrombie and Fitch, mm. you know, that whole early 2000s Oh, game. yeah. We all know about it. NSYNC, you know. Jerbos, man. Rocking some Jerbos. It's, it's fucking great. You know, the Jenko pants. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> who can remember those right you can't forget that so i'm i'm a hood kid mind you i was hustling right so n not when i was there but before that 
So I got gold rings. I got gold chains. I got, I'm a skinny 122 pound kid wearing size 38 pants. <laughs> um, I'm just, you know, whatever. So I go into the school. They know my situation. The, uh, the staff does. They work with me. They give me a lot of good advice. And um, I spent my time there, but I had to hide myself. I had to, I couldn't, you know, I didn't want to tell them I was homeless. I didn't want that. Nobody had to know because I didn't need that exposure. I didn't need to deal with that on top of everything else. So um, I, I, when I left, I wanted to kind of come out and say, here's the deal. You know, the kid you were cool with, the kid that you hung out with, the kid that had a different period, you know, Carlos, right? Um, he was homeless, man. He was homeless. Right. He was homeless. And, um, you know, not everybody that, uh, and not everybody that you may run into that uh, looks a certain way actually has, is going, you know, is, is, is living fine. You know, people right. are going through real shit. And uh, this is what homelessness looks like. It's not a guy on the street at a bum. It happens all, all the time. But in that shelter, I was given a book, um, like a journal, where I could write all my thoughts, man. And what I started writing into that thing as a 16-year-old kid living in a shelter by myself in the room. Um, I had torn my ACL, too. So I didn't realize how dark, I mean, how much, how screwed up I was up mm -hmm. there. I mean, I was writing hate. So that kind of introduced me to self-awareness. Like, holy shit, you know? Um but I, but my let my my letter got picked up by the local newspaper. They wanted to write an article about me, my family, and you know put my letter in the in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So that took place, and then after I moved, uh, it, you know they published it. But where I moved to was small, uh, mostly Caucasian town, unlike Gloucester, Mass, which very few minorities very close-minded mm. you know this is our town this is how we do things here right and you know you look like everything our parents told us to watch out for mm. so don't you know don't come with again i'm 20 cl instead of wearing crutches you know i with my swag i, I got a, i got a cane instead and um kid walking in with jewelry baggy plans boom with a cane okay now this is big daddy cane. i'm like a pimp yeah. now yeah as a 16 year old kid in a <laughs> suburban white school I mean, these kids were not expecting this shit. No. So I'm at lunch chilling, minding my business, and this kid comes up. There's this noise. This person behind me says, I look around, you know, just checking the scene out. I, I hear, uh, what the fuck are you looking at? My reaction is, is clearly he can't be talking to me because I wasn't looking at him. I mean, I'm minding my business. So right. He's not talking to me. Where I'm from, you say that to somebody, you know, obviously it's on, right? So, right. so I'm like, I ignored it. I looked just to make sure I'm like, okay, you're not talking to me, cool. Yeah, I'm fucking talking to you. What the fuck are you looking at? I turn around, I'm like, you, you know, like Al Pacino, like, you, you talking to me? <laughs> yeah. You you talk, he's like, yeah, I'm talking to you. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I laughed, I chuckled a little bit, and then boom, it's clocked him. Now, mind you, this is in lunch, lunchroom, where you went to, you know how schools yeah. are in the suburbs, click. You know, the seniors sit here, the the gothic kids are there, mm -hmm. you know, the nerds are there. Everybody has their own little clique, and then you got the melting pot in the middle where people just shoot the shit. Um, but fights don't go down, not in school. Mm -hmm. That They go out, you know, outside somewhere, and that's few and far in between. So 
I did that, and the whole fucking place erupted. Now, mind you, at this point, I got a bad knee. I just came out of surgery as of like a month or so. So I'm protecting this knee, and I'm protecting myself against this you know, racist little white boy here who, who I don't even know, and God knows who else is going to come and have his back. Right. So I'm seeing Jason. I'm red. Next thing you know, I got the gym teacher throwing me and, you know, taking me off, whatever. I got suspended. That set the tone. Mm. From there on out, I heard words like spick, yep. uh, uh, porch monkey, wetback, things that we don't say that shit in the hood. We don't even know what the hell that means. So I'm hearing these words and in the hallway, and, you know, someone, someone, I, I, people I knew were like, is that piss you off? What, what, what the hell, dude? I'm like, what are you talking about? When he said this and this, I'm like, dude, I don't know what the fuck that means. To me, it doesn't mean shit. So I don't have no fucking, right. like, well, that means this. And I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, shit. So here we go. Teachers heard it. Everybody heard it. Nobody gave a fuck. Mm. The principal literally thought because the police department had my record, they 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 labeled me as a drug dealing, um, you know, minority. Mm. Shit. I couldn't even speak Spanish in ROTC class because the, the drill instructor did not want me to hear, you know, to talk Spanish. I'm like, okay, so whatever. That's my that's my reality. Right. That little bit of hope that I had, gone, dude. Angry Carlos is back to yeah. attack. And now it's really literally me against everybody. Mm. And I wasn't back. And I'm like, okay, you might as well kill me at this point because you're really not going to – I'm not going anywhere. Right. So anyways, that's what was my lifestyle. And then I got arrested a million and one times. They wanted to get me out of that town right. and in jail. So I hit an age, 18, 19, I think. Um, I was over it, man. I was over it. I had made friends. I had lived in that culture, in that environment. I've been in their homes. I've met their families. I felt the racism. I felt the prejudice. I felt the, the, the labeling. I, I, I experienced all that. I knew what that was. But I also experienced the kindness. Mm. I experienced the openness. I experienced um, the advice, the sincerity, you know? I had friends. It wasn't like I didn't have friends. I, I had friends. And, um, you know, I said it. I had an ex-girlfriend. I mean, I was just a hot. I was homeless again and again. I was in and out of jail. I got into a high-speed car chase with my Latin. I became a Latin king. Hmm. So a high-speed car chase with Latin kings, with my Latin king boys in Rhode Island with the cops. Shootout. Like movie shit. Wow. Um, trying to derail vehicles in a stolen vehicle that we stole from a different state. Um, and I got caught. I got the ever living life beaten out of me by the Royal Island Police in a state, Massachusetts State Police Department. I lucky I wasn't I wasn't shot because they, they were talking about doing it mm. if the if captain didn't show up or chief, whoever the hell he was. Um, and um, I had gone through a lot, man. I had gone through a lot. And and, you know. I had banged some girls and stuff, and I had a relationship, but I just wanted, you know, believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, but you ever seen the movie Vanilla Sky? Tom Cruise? Yeah. Yeah. Vanilla Cruise? Yep. One of my top five. And it's weird, but because you see this individual privileged, given every fucking thing he wanted. Dad owned a magazine company. Just wasting it, you know, just... Banging every girl that his best friend really likes, mm. um, you know, just uh, abusing the life that he's been given. And then you run into the other scene where he's wearing this mask and stuff. But the long end of it is I was brought to a journey 
of what what your choices can lead to, how consequences directly affect your life. Mm -hmm. And it brought me through that journey. And then at the end, as we realized, um, you know, he was put into the state life extension where he was cryo frozen and then he woke up, whatever, a hundred and so years later. Mm -hmm. But everybody that the, the, the movie, as you remember, the whole movie, was fake. He was living inside of a virtually, you know, a virtual reality, a, a dream that was created during his cryo freeze. And all that didn't happen. So as the glitches started happening, he woke up out of it. And then the person that, that he met, Penelope Cruz, that he was in love with, had died. She had kids. His whole world was over. But the speech that the guy gave at the end was about consequences. He says, David, these are the consequences of your choices. Now you have a decision to make. You go this way, you can stay in your state, we can re-put you in cryo-freeze and you can go on continuing your life extension, or you can jump off of this building, which is your biggest fear, heights, and enter the world, and by now they can fix your face and do all this stuff. And it just, everything kind of culminates, and, you re and I realized, I said, fucking consequences. Okay. Yeah. Consequence, I mean, I did this shit to myself. Dropped out of high school as a sophomore. I got my, my GED. Um, and then I met a girl, a white girl, country, you know, girl from the Burbs. Mm. Tomboy. Did not. We were like oil and vinegar, you know. We were not mixing, but it worked out. But she and the group of friends that I was with, I analyzed them like you couldn't believe because I was determined to know how to be normal or what mm. or what. Normal was I just needed to work and live and be a well-functioned human in society mm -hmm. without self-destructing constantly. So I, you know, changed a lot, right? Changed a lot. Got a career. The career I excelled at. I had a mentor, which was the owner. And, you know, long story short, um, heartbreak. Mm -hmm. We broke up. And I ran into this, you know, sounds silly now, but I saw something back in my space days where I was like, I'm single. Somebody said, go on MySpace account, go to the MySpace account. Who's the first person I look up? My ex-girlfriend. Yeah. So I see a picture here on MySpace and I just, I lost it, bro. I was 24, five, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe 23, 20, 24, but I lost it. Right. Um, I couldn't work. I drank my ass off. I drank my pain away. Um, and needless to say, everything that happened in between was just a process of trying to skirt responsibilities, skirt being accountable for my actions, um, try to justify everything I was doing um, in order to make myself feel better mm -hmm. um, and completely ignore the fact that my life was collapsing before me. But it wasn't my fault. It's not, she did this to me, he did right. that to me. They, mm -hmm. you know, put in the, the blame. Yep. And ultimately, um, I, you know, I joined a rugby team and all that stuff, but I uh, got into an incident one night Stabbed the guy, saw myself in um, in jail, Worcester County Correctional, woke up um, after classification and, you know, realized this uh, at 25, whatever, 24, this was where my life had gotten. Mm. You know, when you have that, as we all know, the pressure of being an adult requires you to sustain the infrastructure of the lifestyle that allows you to be an adult. Mm -hmm. Bills, cars, 
family, what, whatever it is, mm. that's your responsibility. Okay. Some people put on way too much on their plate. Some people are still living for someone else's life, the lives of their moms or dads or whatever, but they're not living their, their life. Mm. So they're living in a perpetual state of misery because they're not doing anything for themselves. Whatever the situation is, that's your life. And you're obligated to wake up every single day and live it. The alternative, the fear of the alternative is why people don't take risk, is why people just don't break themselves away from the chains. Mm. Um, jail took that all away from me. Right. I didn't have anything to worry about no more. No bills, no friends, no job, no nothing. As crazy ironic as that was, that freedom, the freedom while I'm incarcerated, <laughs> liberated yeah. me. But not just liberated me, it allowed me to reflect without needing to wake up with the stress. I used to be a bill collector. I mean, I had to wake up every fucking day and hear somebody say, you mother effer, you son of, people literally, you have to become a, to be a bill collector, you have to deconstruct mm -hmm. your understanding of what humans are. Deacon just break you down to build you back up because people will lie to you. Mm -hmm. They will deceive you. They will tell you the worst stories that you couldn't even imagine to avoid paying that damn bill. Right. Yeah. They've already justified why they're not going to pay it, mm -hmm. why they don't have to pay it. Now it's just a matter of convincing your ass and getting you off their back. Well, it took me, you know, a little bit to, to get through that. But every day waking up in such a negative, toxic environment with this brain, with the life I had outside of home. Being somebody that I wasn't, because when I met her, I felt like I had to you know, be this kind of Carlos to right. live this life, because this is the life that Carlos is supposed to be living. Mm -hmm. So I had to be this Carlos. I had to be white Carlos. I had to be quiet Carlos. I had to be church Carlos. I had to be this Carlos. I had to be some other Carlos. Right. So it worked for a little bit, but you know, you're not living, you're not being your, yourself. So then I, uh, I had a little talk with the big man upstairs, kind of like an epiphany. You know, this, uh, mm -hmm. I had questions that I hadn't ever asked. And I received answers that I had never, ever received. It's almost like every advice, everything that I've been told, everything that happened in my entire life, just boom, was resolved that one night. But, uh, you know, reality was I had, I was an adult and I wasn't going to be in jail forever. Mm -hmm. And I had to come out. And, but when I did come out, when that took place, I was homeless again because, right. you know, my landlord wasn't going to keep the, you know, it just wasn't going to happen. My job wasn't there. Nothing was there. But, um, I had experienced a lot, you know, a, a lot before that and, you know, like a year before, no, actually, uh, after getting out, um, I had a different perspective. I had this humility. Mm. I had this peace, this tranquility. I had the acceptance that I was who I was. I can't change my past. I can't change my mother. I can't, I can't do nothing about what the hell happened behind me, before me. It's just what it was, what it was. Mm. But I can do something now. Right. I was given another chance, and um, swallowing my pride was very well. In, in, a, in a in a crazy way, it was very easy because I've been dealing with being humiliated by my mom since I was a kid and shutting my mouth and you know having to adapt and just be quiet and get used to my environment. So, living on a couch, dealing with all this stuff, it was demoralizing. But I was looking at any opportunity that I could create for myself mm -hmm. through a different focus lens. So I was now able to make better decisions. And during that year, I received, you know, when you have, as you probably experienced in your mm -hmm. life, when you change your perspectives, 
and your mind is now emitting a different energy, a different frequency to the world, you now tune yourself to that frequency. So mm-hmm. the world, the, the, whatever's tuned to that frequency will now come to you. Yep. And I was receiving that over and over again. And I was like, it was inundated by it. And I was like, holy shit, like I could be a good person. I, I could let out all the good things about me that I was, you know, withholding and keeping inside for all these years and afraid because I, you know, I had to be this, I had to be that. I didn't want to be judged. I could be whoever the hell I want to be. And then, you know, year after year, things change and life turned completely around. That is, I mean, do you want to talk about overcoming and, excuse me, you know, just listening to that story and having that, you know, your conversation with the man upstairs, a moment of clarity, the letting go, mm-hmm. letting go of the past. I run into and, and have and have harbored it myself for, you know, my wife used to say, you know, you got to let go of these things. You know, my, my, my childhood was not, I mean, I, I don't even, I can't even, not even, we're, we're on a different playing field, but I think, <laughs> it's you, all good, man. but you mentioned, you mentioned it's the same, you know, Timmy can have the same kind of absolutely bro mental absolutely. mental things going on. So I had you know, I know the feeling yeah parental issues let's call them and held mm-hmm. a lot of resentment because well I could have gone and done this had had this been this way if my mom would have been this way if my father would have been this way you know if the situation exactly. if, if we hadn't moved you know I went to yep. three high schools in four years I know it's but having to adjust yep. and make new friends yeah. and you're like but I. I was went on and I, I found what I considered to myself my comfort zone. I had my career. I started in radio right out of high school, age 19, and turned it into 20 years. And what would have been a, a lifelong career, um, that was like one of those specialty gigs. Like, oh, you got, oh, wow, that's really cool. Like, you're on, I'm like, you know, yeah. You know, the first year I was like, yeah, that's right. You know, I'm, Bad motherfucker over here. I get to talk. Yeah. I get to talk to people. And the prestige of the title. Oh man, you know, I walk out my, you know, six hundred dollar every two week paycheck, and I'm just <laughs> fucking rolling in it, you know. But, but I always held on to um, that kind of angst and and resentment because of the past, because of the situations I was put in, ultimately the decisions that I made. But really, and I, I felt a lot of that in that that moment of clarity you had, is. It was never my fault. You know, I, I is there to blame. I'm here because of them. This didn't work out for me and it's their fault. I didn't get this raise. Or I, and it's not something that for me was like very like prevalent. It would come out once in a while. Um, you know, I think during darker moments when you're like, God, you know, I, I could have been in the, like, we could have had a nicer house. Or we could have been living somewhere where it doesn't get fucking 36 below zero in February and you can't do anything. So those, those kind of moments have come up and I'm like, it's because of this. And then finally one day when I, I had a similar moment when I was just like, like, that's not going to change anything. Like I can sit here and bitch and complain about, I didn't get this and this didn't work out. And I, you know, made these bad choices and I ended up in jail for, you know, a, a while from some of my bad choices at a, in my twenties. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where the, where the fuck is that getting us? Where at this point, with a wife and a child, where are we going? How how is wow. this making things? And you had that pressure. That's that's right. that's something, bro. So to be able to and 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 you see people, and I'm sure you who who goes out and now has has turned that corner in such a major way to now you're 
speaking to people about this and people of all ages and from middle schools into colleges and and on on the web and on worldwide media of just to masses of people about you have to encounter these people that have, are that are challenged every day because of the past and and how it was and and just when you let it go and you are a number one prime shining star example of this when you let that go and you start like you said you may have to live on a couch you may have to do things that suck a lot of things i do suck but the reason that you get through those you get into that being comfortable being uncomfortable because you want something better 100% on board with that aligning your frequency mm-hmm. for the longest time i thought that was bullshit like Absolutely. my frequencies I want to be a millionaire. I say it every day. I put it on a note, post-it <laughs> note somewhere, and but it didn't. Doesn't if you don't gravitate yourself towards that and move yourself in that direction, and find ways to work for it, and you just sit there yeah. and hope that it's going to happen. Well, hope yeah. and putting yourself on the same frequency are two completely different things. Exactly. But the fact that you were able to take that and and make this huge life turn at at what I assume was one of the two rock bottoms, which total yeah. is about thirteen. I think we got the thirteen <laughs> rock bottoms, but the the, the one where yes. it flipped, the one where yeah. it flipped and things yeah. changed, and everything in the past became what it was, and it became about okay, now it's time to move forward. Yeah. It is just, it's an it's an inspiring story of the obstacles Thanks. that are in front of people that we put in front of ourselves that we blame others for being in front of us Mm -hmm. if we can get it if you can get in your head and start to control it a little bit like the mind is a fucking wild place man it is amazing when you get in there and you're like wow i'm like i'm in control of that floating eight pound object in my head Mm -hmm. this whole time i thought it was just controlling what i was doing and you start to say well no i'm gonna i'm gonna go like if i tell my brain to tell my body to go this direction my body will go that direction because my brain just <clears throat> told it to go that direction. We get so strung up on the on the blocks, yeah. you know, on the on the roadblocks that are in front of us, and we go, "Oh shit, no, can't, that's that's uncomfortable. That's yes, it's risky. It'd be yes. risky to make this decision, start your own business, move to a new city, take that job offer, stand up in front of the board, make a presentation. You know, people get like." paralyzed absolutely because of that risk and because it's so man they not even not even the fact of being in it the thought of being in a situation that's uncomfortable and going i don't want to be in that because that they're not even in that they're not even there they're not even standing up in front of the you know board of directors saying here's what we're going to do they're just thinking about how it would feel now add the action to it or add the attempt to it and then you have the social pressure of people saying, are you crazy? I mean, oh, yeah. have you lost your mind? You're t- listen, you're going to destroy this. You're going to ruin that. You've worked so long. You're g-. And then you're like, oh, no, no, no. I mean, that, you know, the social embarrassment, mm-hmm. social isolation with the f- emotional fear and insecurity and doubts, worries, you name it, will paralyze 90. 90- well, not only will paralyzes 95% of human beings. Yeah. Period. It's it's a just it's a crazy thing to think about, but I think we all you have, I have, we've been in that in that chair. We we've, we've sat in that chair paralyzed by something and mm-hmm. not realizing 
if you go through it, if you just you dig down, if you have to practice, if you have to stand in front of a mirror and shout at yourself, if you have, I mean, you go into my bathroom and it's literally, there's fucking post-it. It looks like I framed my mirror, which makes it a real pain in the ass to clean when my wife yells at me to clean the bathroom mirror. <laughs> but there's, po- there's just post-it notes of things that I want to remind myself of. Not nice. like, it's it's all about reading it and remembering exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. Why yep. am I? Why do I get up so early and work out? You know, it's not because I want a fucking six pack abs. It's yeah. not. It, it's because I feel better when I do it. It sucks. I've said this millions of times on this podcast. I run and running sucks. Yes. You know, I've I'm trying. I'm launching a new business and the 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 strains and pressures of doing that and doing something that I've never done before in my life. Mm-hmm. Trying to learn shit, making phone calls and talking to people and like dealing with lawyers and accountants. And I'm like, <laughs> but if you do it and yeah. I look at those things and I say, that's why we're fucking doing it. Yeah. I need to get, you know, the words I have, you know, and the the books I've read. I know you, you mentioned <laughs> several people uh, in this podcast mm-hmm. already that, that I constantly go to as a, as a motivational mm-hmm. resource. I'm, I've added mm-hmm. you to that repertoire. You're on, you're in, you're in the book now you, you're on, Thank the, you. on the pages, <laughs> but it's, you just find those little things, those little itty bitty quotes or phrases that a year ago I thought were bullshit. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, no, dude, that's real because yeah. doing all these things have put me on that frequency. Like you mentioned yeah. that, Strangely enough, man, I have this idea, and I wrote it down. This, my, this book has become my Bible. I just I write That's every awesome. everything down. That's awesome. And I had this idea, and it it turned into like meeting with somebody, uh, having a podcast with somebody <clears throat> on a completely different topic, and and just sporadically this thing got brought up, and it was like, I can get you from A to B, and mm-hmm. I'm like, shut the fuck up. There's no. Way. <laughs> and then it was that that pressure of like, oh man, like. I didn't think this was ever going to go from A to B. It was just going to be at A, and I was going to yeah. hope. And, and now A to B. Okay, now we're at B. All right, now I have to do these 12. Now I'm at C. Like, yeah, holy shit. Like, just because you you put that energy out there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to hear uh, your continuation of your story from from having that that epiphany, that moment, that conversation, that that change, the rock bottom to, to Phoenix Rising, where – you have you went from that position being incarcerated to i mean you got a book coming out in 2020 uh, which i want which i want to talk about um telling telling these stories in depth getting more in depth um with some of the things that we've talked about um you're speaking to people you're motivating people you're energizing people you're you're a monster on social media just getting in people's claw and just being like dude <laughs> you know what types of challenges you know from where you were, but you just kept on going through them. You know, tell me yeah. about kind of the the progress from incarceration. Obviously, we got you got through that. Yeah, you started to go through those struggles, and you just kept on moving forward. Tell me about the path and journey to where to where you sit now. Um, you know, it. A lot of people think that, uh, like you said, running right, running. Yeah. I run three times a week, mm-hmm. um, and as you know, I hate it. Yeah. I literally. The minute I start running, when I push that number six, my brain is fighting me and oh, saying, 100%. stop it, dude, stop it. You, you just don't, it's going to suck. Don't, you know? And then it's that resiliency, that ability to be able to push yourself to a point that 
Your brain is negative off the rip. It's only there to keep you alive, mm -hmm. to help you survive. It doesn't care how good you feel. It doesn't care about any of that. Mm -hmm. It just wants, okay, you're hurting, you're straining. I feel pain. I sense pain. Get the hell off now. Chill out. So that's the brain. That's how it works. I even though I experienced all that stuff growing up, you would, you know, and confronted my demons and was exposed to such, you know, to the fight or flight feeling yep. since I was a child. Um, I knew what taking risks felt like. I knew, I knew what all these sensations felt like the good and the bad. But, um, when I left prison or jail, whatever County, mm -hmm. I had the chance. I had I, there was a reset button. Everything was over. I had a fresh start, mm -hmm. new mentality, new perspective. But life was still waiting for me to live it. So I had a lot more shit to deal with, a lot more challenges. Right. I mean, I moved to Florida, you name it. But because I had a different perspective, I had different friends. I. I've always reflected. I've always been a creature of contemplation, of re reflection, S constant self-analysis, which causes self-confliction because mm -hmm. the way that you know you're good cop, bad cop, the devil and the angel, mm -hmm. both on each shoulder, and one's pulling you this way, one's pulling you the other, and um, the more bad you do, the less the, the the more the quieter the little the good voice gets. So now that bad voice was gone, now the good voice was louder. Mm. with a different perspective. So everything changed in a positive way, but that that goddamn son of a bitch resistance mm -hmm. was there. And every time I try to go forward, it just pushed me back, pushed me back. But I wasn't... It, inside, I no longer had that anger. I no longer had that why me, that why, you know, that, that what was me bullshit. Um, I let that go. So it was like I've always done in life a, str a strategy, right? Uh, you know, here's here's the goal. Here's where I want to get to. Here's what I want to have. Now with a better perspective, I can get it. But how am I going to get there? And plan A, even though it's plan A, it might not work. So what would be plan B and then plan C? How could I still get to the same place if shit hits the fan here? So then you, you know, attempt that. I came out as a felon. A kid, a smart dude, potential, um, could blend in with 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 the CEO or a homeless guy, have conversations with both, no problem. Couldn't get a job at CVS. Couldn't get a job at Dunkin' Donuts. Get, I mean, I had to. I, the only place I could apply to was in the mail room of a corporation where no one saw me, with. You know, with immigrants, people who weren't from this country, mm -hmm. people who can barely speak English, or crackheads, or meth addicts, or heroin addicts. Uh, these were the people that I had to be around. So I'm like, damn, this sucks, dude. Shit changed. Um, and when I, not to give you too much info, but because mm -hmm. it's in the book, of course, um, I got sent to Wisconsin for work. Um, and when I came to Wisconsin, which was the uh, end of October 2009, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was an East Coast boy. If you know anything about the East Coast, it's fast paced, mm -hmm. you know, as quick as a tick in a New York minute. 
So you either in it or you're in the way. So which one are you? Because, you, you know, get the hell out. I don't know you. You don't know me. So we have no reason to talk. Hmm. If you talk to me, what the fuck do you want? And why the fuck are you talking to me? Um, that was the mentality. You know, you've all seen the movie The Town. You've all seen, you know, you've seen plenty of East Coast movies. Their interpretation is pretty dead on. I mean, you got to be a little rough, you know. You talk shit, it's going down, you know, whatever. So that was it. Stress. Everybody's angry. Everybody's pissed. Everybody's got a chip on their shoulder. Everybody's a tough guy. Every woman, you know, got. it's just oh, all the time, especially in the hood or in the environment in these, mm. you know, these, these, these environments. So I came to Wisconsin and fucking people were like, I, I didn't have a car, obviously, because I wasn't supposed to stay here for too long. I, I got sent here for an acquisition um, and to see if the, if the acquisition was profitable. And if it was profitable, then um, there'd be a merger. And mm-hmm. if the merger took place, I would be the division manager of the Wisconsin division right. um, for, for this company. So I got, you know, I was, uh, we were the guy, I was staying with the guy of the, the owner of the company we, we, we were, we were buying mm-hmm. in his basement, which was an apartment. Um, and we're driving to work every damn day and people are just waving at us from the other lane. I'm like, do you know the guy? He's like, no. I'm like, well, what's the deal then? Why the hell is he waving? He's just waving. I'm like, he's waving to wave because he's just <laughs> being nice. He's just waving. And he's like, yeah, yeah. People do that around here. I said, okay. Then I go to the store and I buy a six pack and they offer me cookies with my six pack. Mm-hmm. I said, why the hell would I want cookies with my six pack? She's like, well, just wondering if you want cookies. It's what we offer here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, nope, don't need any cookies. Either, but thank you. Um, then I'm jogging on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon and some guy in a pickup truck drives past me, stops, reverses. Now, mind you, fight or flight kicks in. Mm-hmm. Okay, exit routes. What the hell am I doing here? Um, what's up, dude? Um, everything all right? Yep, good. Uh, you're running because you want you got to get somewhere, or you're doing it for exercise. I'm like, I'm just doing for exercise. Okay, see you later. That was it. I said, what in the fuck? And where am I? Like, what is this Pleasantville town? This insanity that I'm in. So, I'm over here. Like, I had some time to reflect, and I said, God, you know, boy. If you, if there was a place that that you could send me to be able to not only just rehabilitate myself, but to be able to freely absorb the the positivity and the kindness and the work and all these positive attributes of humanity, so I can not just you know be around it and not be affected by the negative by, by the negative stuff, but learn from it. And build that ability to see people, I mean, through and through mm-hmm. as, you know, people that, that there's good in them somewhere. There's good. There's good. And they're people like that actually do exist. They're not just not like in the movies or like in the Roseanne show or like this. No, they exist and they exist here. Um, shit didn't work out with the company, whatever. I got screwed. There was a coup back in corporate. Then I got uh, invited to open up another company, um, just me and two other guys. And then the you know we had a a a, a, a percentage uh, of pay you know so basically we'd all get paid twenty five percent of the PNL mm. so after the, the the profit and loss and then three of us obviously split three ways you'd have another twenty five percent in a in a pot which we'd use to you know to grow the the company so 
I found out that they were months down the road. One of the guys kind of befri- he did it on purpose. He's just not a good guy. Hmm. So he um, he painted a seat in my head and said, you know, I wasn't really approve of this guy, you know, uh, paying us 35 percent and and used keeping you at 25. Mind you, I was the one who was there 12 hours a day busting my ass, right. you know, all the time. I was pissed, hmm. but he lit the fuse. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't revert back to a ways. I was just, I addressed the issue. I was ignored, addressed it again. I was let go. Hmm. Then they concocted a story to not have to pay me unemployment. Two against one, they won hmm. in, the, in, the, in the hearing. Mind you, I'm a guy in Wisconsin, turned his life around completely, met the woman of my dreams at TGI Fridays within six months or so of being, of living here. Hmm. Um, and... I'm now unemployed with the car payment, mm-hmm. with the car, by the way, which I ended up buying from Jim Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> so now, you know, there's, I had to pay that. There's the time. So, yeah. <laughs> so all these things I had to deal with. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I'm a felon. No one's going to hire me, right? Mm-hmm. So anyways, long story short, I try to become an insurance agent. I get approved by the state. But because of my criminal record, I'm unable to work as an agent anywhere in the entire state. So there goes the... T- the dichotomy that so I spent money and hours and for nothing because it didn't work out. Um, and uh, I ended up working for a lot of assholes in this town, mm. um, you know, s- small business owners, um, you know, chip on their shoulders. This town, what I've realized is there's a group of people that have, or just in general, it's a culture of a very cliquish mentality. It's like not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. And, um, you know, it's uh, you give them a little bit of money, they're a big fish in a small pond. Mm. So, I uh, worked for them and they saw the qualities in me, but they were using my traits as uh, ex- exploiting them. And then when I didn't become useful to them, they let me go. Mm-hmm. Um, then I had my son, the birth of my son, September 4th, uh, 2014, which just completely fucking derailed my understanding of my my meaning and purpose for being here. Right. Because now I mm-hmm. saw this human being, which was part of me, and... I just flashed back in my life and I said, shit, obviously I don't want him to live the life I have. I'm gonna give him a better, better life. But then I looked forward ahead. I'm like, what kind of life am I gonna give this kid? What am I gonna provide him as a person with my background, with my potential, with my dreams, unfulfilled dreams, hopes, and visions, um, living as I'm living now, unhappy and miserable. Mm-hmm. I had dreams of being you know, a suit and tie guy of working in a corporation and having this fancy fucking title and having people respect me and you know closing deals and this and that and getting a dope ass paycheck and having a dope ass car living in a dope ass house and having a dope ass wife and all this crazy stuff because I grew up thinking you know I grew up in the court system looking at judges and lawyers and probation officers and I'm like that's that's what I got to be I got I got to be someone like like that right. that's what success looks like mm-hmm. yeah. um so I uh, let that dream go. I said, I said, I, I can't. This sucks. This sucks. Like you couldn't believe. Um, if this is what that looks like, I don't want it. Because number one, I wasn't going to work at a corporation. I was a felon, so that dream was off the. I uh, was gone. Right. And then the other issue was that the people who would hire me were complete assholes. So I wasn't going to work for them either. Um, so I um, I said to myself, okay, so now I have to figure out a way to work for myself. Mm-hmm. I got to figure this shit out. Um, but along the way, I still got to make it, make a living. So within one year I worked for 11, I, I worked, I had 11 jobs, wow. 11 W nines that I filled W twos or whatever the fuck mm. that I filled, filled, filled out in 1099s. 
Um, that year, when my son, while he was born, he was a little, little kid, I cleaned toilets for steam cleaners. Again, a guy who worked in an office, came here for an acquisition. You know, I had this, uh, I still had the eagle in me. I still had uh, some pride, you know, I had all that shit in me. But now I was cleaning toilets in offices of people that had cubicles like mine. See, in their pictures, their family pictures. Right. Um, I was, uh, you know, doing marketing, meeting other business owners, meeting, going to other companies. I was, uh, man, I did all kinds of shit, dude, that year, bartending, so on and so forth. But um, I realized that I, I, I had to, if I didn't do something now at the age that I was at 31 mm. and figure out what it was, I was never going to do it. So I chose to start writing the story of my life. Um, I chose to write the book and, you know, just start it. So I did it while I was unemployed at the library here in Eau Claire on an iPad um, and just started writing, dude, writing, writing, writing. Cathartic as hell. Mm. And um, I, I, I knew that if I wrote the book, I would create an opportunity for myself that no one can take from me. It was the truth. Yep. And by doing it, I was I, I at least would have the opportunity to help to give the kid that I used to be some hope mm. to provide them this this whole story of what shit looks like, what going through hell looks like, what, you know, what the lowest of the low, the demons and all that stuff that you hide inside feels like and looks like. And then having to build yourself up, reconstruct yourself, and then you know unprogram and reprogram your, yourself, and then feel like you had it and lose it all again, right. and then rebuild. So I, I I knew that eventually someone would end up reading the book, and if I would die after the book was completed or even in the process, because the manuscript is finally done, um, my son would at least have something to read and say, you know. This was my dad. Like right. this, he might have been this. He might have been that. He might have, but you know, my dad was a fighter. He was a survivor. Right. He was a fucking warrior. Mm -hmm. So um, that was it. And then, in the process of writing the book, obviously, I ran into certain people. And a professor at the UW Stout heard it. Said he heard my story. And at a barbershop once, and said, "Hey, come over and speak to my kids at the criminal justice class I got." So I gave a speech there to two of his classes and the feedback I got, just like you said a while back, you know, kids were like, these young adults were like, dude, I, I went through some, you know, I wanted to become a cop. That was my goal my whole life. I came to college, did all this stuff. And um, I did some shit, I fucked up. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was catastrophic. It put me in a really bad, bad place. But after hearing your story, I said, damn, you know, like, if he can do it, this ain't that bad. Yeah. I mean, I could figure it out. Yeah, I may not end up being a cop, but I have other options. I can find other ways. There's just hope. There's still it's still there. Another one, another one, and then obviously Boys and Girls Club. I've talked to those kids, mm -hmm. um, and then I got, I started taking it serious. I was working as a bartender at TGI Fridays mm -hmm. here in town before they closed down, and you know I had a good following. People really liked me. You know, they call me one of the best bartenders in town um, because I'm just a gregarious. I'm good at socializing, talking to people and right. engaging people, having them. And, you know, that's what they come there to get entertained and leave their problems behind. But while I was working there, I saw businessmen. 
I saw people with titles, mm-hmm. people with money. I saw them how they were, how they got their sober, and what they became when they were drunk. But I got to get to know these people and hear their stories. Now, I never forget one story. This guy sat there. He had to be in his sixties, maybe late fifties, but look, you know, taken care of. Um, and he said, "I'm retiring soon, within the next whatever few few months. Worked my entire life to get this. I provided my my wife." My two daughters, a life, you know, you couldn't imagine mm-hmm. everything they want. I'm like, how old your daughters? He told me, he's like, college, my college relationship with them. He's like, they hate me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why? I kind of had, I, I, I kind of knew why, mm-hmm. but I wanted to hear his version. And he says, well, you know, I wasn't there, man. I, I did all this shit. I, I, I gave them everything they wanted, but all they wanted was a father, right. a dad. My wife wanted a husband. She didn't want fake boobs. She didn't want plastic surgery. She didn't want a new car. She wanted a husband. Mm-hmm. So now at 60 something years old, looking at retirement, knowing that it's over at that point, I'm trying to regain a relationship with children who don't want to be with me. Mm-hmm. And just to see the sadness, to see the, just the suffering, the, you know, that pain that I told you about that we all experience right. no matter where you're, where you're from. I said, man, I tell you, I, I never in a million years do I want that to be me and my son to be his, his daughters or my, my daughter to be his daughters. So I decided to take it serious. And I started, uh, I heard Tony Robbins, you know, all the motivational speakers right. that we all listen to, the guys that change your whole philosophy, Eric Thomas, everything. And I changed my routines. Mm-hmm. I changed the, what I consumed on a daily basis, you know. Um, I just changed what I was taking in TV, what I was dedicating my, my time to. I started exercising, creating that exercise routine to create a, you know, dopamine and the, and the, uh, serotonin, right. right. To make yourself feel, feel better. Um, I started reading, of course, I just did, I, I just changed my habits and I said, well, if I'm doing this shit, then I said, there's gotta be other people out there that. That, that need to need to hear something good that need to people that I'm from in the low people, people that see me, you know, grow up in, in the suburbs that were friends with me, saw the crazy Carlos. Mm-hmm. I, there's no sense in me having all these thoughts. Cause for a, for like a long time now, you know, Facebook, I was a face, I, 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 I was a keyboard warrior, mm-hmm. you know, during the Obama years, you know, I was just, you know, I was getting into political debates and all right. these debates. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought I was making a change in people's lives while I'm working at the office, wasting hours on Facebook. Um, and it didn't mount up to anything because, you know, people are going to be people. Mm-hmm. But they knew who I was. They knew the change that I, that I made. But they didn't know the, the person I was trying to become because I said, if I'm going to pursue this road of being a speaker, trying to change people's lives, writing a book, I got to expose myself. Right. And the number, the biggest, the second biggest fear in the world is public speaking. Mm-hmm. Right under clowns. So, <laughs> believe it or not, yeah. as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. I'm, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so, here I am running on a treadmill. I'm like, ah, screw it. Let me do it. Mm. So, I just did a video. I did a video, then I did another video, did another video, did another video. Then I said I'm going to do Instagram, so I did Instagram, 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 and then um, I challenged myself. When that before I did, I said, 
you have a, you have a challenge because mm-hmm. everybody needs to give themselves a, a challenge. For one year without a failure, you have to post a video at least three times a week. Mm-hmm. At least three times a week, or at, or at least once a week, but every single week you got to post something, and do that for an entire year. Get yourself out there and see what happens out of it. So I did it. Obviously, I sucked at first, and then I got better at it. Then I started doing, you know, good videos, whatever, in my basement with backdrops and, you know, B-roll and angles and lighting and all that stuff and invested in that. But along the way, mind you, I'm working as a bartender, making a little bit of money, but not too much. Mm. My fiance, Martha Benitez, um, she's been, you know, she's been the foundation. She's been the rock. Right. She's believed in me. I mean, mm. you know, imagine being with a person who can't find a good, decent job, who can't pay, who can't keep up with his, you know, with his end of the bargain, mm-hmm. and you're now having to sustain everything else. Right. But you see the potential in this person, like huge risk. But we had a kid, and she knew my vision. We we sleep with each other every single night. She knows what I think. She knows she's my best friend. Mm-hmm. She's the only person I confide to. So when that took place, um, you know, she uh. She understood. We both understood. This is not going to give you much money up front. Right. This isn't. You know, this takes a while to build. Mm-hmm. A while to build. But little by little, you get exposed. People get know your name, and ultimately, um, you know, you start uh, you start getting those messages on Facebook and on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Dude, people who everybody watches the video, one person will like it. Right. Oh yeah. Two people will like it. But. And the person who sends you the message won't like it, but they'll send you a message talking about how, you know. So it's like, but but I got the feedback and I'm like, wow, you know, people are watching and people, they they are learning. They are changing perspectives. They are being impacted by, by, by this. So I'm doing something. I'm not getting paid for it. And my goal wasn't to get paid for it. Mm-hmm. My goal was to affect change because I know that if I provide value in someone else's life, I'm going to be of value to the world eventually. Right. 100%. So. I, I, that's all I did, man. That's all I did. And then obviously, um, word got around and, you know, as you know, now the book is finally, um, manuscript is done. I got to send it to a beta tester. And then, um, you know, I did, I just did a, uh, a speech, uh, for the boys and girls club, uh, state conference, um, here where the, you know, the CEOs were there and, you know, uh, talking about the, the, the power of belief mm-hmm. and how these people have the power to drop the seed of belief inside of the lives of kids who might never ever hear that anywhere in their world. And even though the seed may not blossom, you know, they may not even see the kids for decades, but eventually like me, when it clicks, boy, it clicks. And hopefully that one seed will just become a freaking, you know, huge tree. So, um, that's kind of, that's kind of where I, where I'm at now. Uh, it's, it's an amazing, uh, the story, I mean, from beginning to end, and obviously, you know, the book, uh, The Resurrection Plant, I believe is the, the yes. title, uh, which is coming out you know, very, very soon. You know, you you hit on a lot of things, uh, you know, for me personally, that are eight ball corner pocket uh, with, when you start to find that belief in yourself and the belief that you can, that you can make an impact, um, when you start to be authentic, when you start to hold yourself accountable, you know, when you set those, you got to post something, you know, one thing a week, three things a week, you know, someday, some, some weeks that seven days a week, uh, mm-hmm. you, you really start to, when you start to make those changes and implement those changes and, and mine have come 
as I'm sure yours did from just little bits of knowledge that you get from, you know, the, the low hanging fruit that's out there, the, the great speakers, the, the people that have gone through, you know, I don't know that anybody has a similar story to you, but you know, people that have, that have kind of gone through some things and overcome and, and they've, you know, maybe reached, I mean, I think you're on the, you're on the journey mm-hmm. and people that have reached, you know, uh, that first level or second level or third level of their journey, you know, and they can pass down, you know, little tidbits of things. Hey, try implementing this. Don't mm-hmm. eat like shit. You know, mm-hmm. it's amazing what you put into your body is what you get mm-hmm. out of your body. And mm-hmm. the working out thing and, and and being able to not only do those things, implement those things, share those things socially, because we this was referenced several times in this podcast. When you put things out there, you are now subject to the worldwide criticism of social media. And <laughs> oh, what buddy. when you start to not let those comments lack of comments, lack mm-hmm. of likes, 11,000 views, two likes. Yeah. You start to, when you, when you don't let those things affect you, and even the, the comments that come in, when you start to realize that you're doing something that you know, and that human beings as, as a whole know, this is a good thing. Working out is a good thing. It's healthy for you. It helps you to live longer. You want to play with your kids longer. You want to do all these things mm-hmm. and, and be a better, more functioning asset to society. Do these things. It works. Mm-hmm. When the criticism comes in <clears throat> on a workout thing or trying to do something crazy, like I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book on my life, or I'm gonna go, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a motivational speaker because it's yeah. because it's outside of that cookie cutter box that we talked about Correct. also. You're not falling into the pattern. You're not nope. you're not going with the flow. You're going against the grain. People will automatically, either because of jealousy mm-hmm. or because they just don't fucking get it. Mm-hmm. They're automatic and it's a sad state of society that we're in. And obviously these are the these are the minority. These are the the few people that find social media as a place to vent their own frustrations with life and take them out of on course. whoever's in their in their crosshairs. But when you realize that, man, you start to feel for those people that are posting negatively yeah. and you're like man you you probably had the potential to do something great today you could have yeah. you could have gone and done something awesome with your kid but instead you're here on Instagram Facebook Twitter mm-hmm. starting shit with people and it's yeah. and then you realize it's not just you they're starting shit with it's it's other people and you're like man just think of the if that took you 5 minutes to think of and 1 yeah. minute to post and then you followed up on those comments and people that commented on what you said. And if, if you start to interact with them back and forth, you've wasted hours of your day just spewing negativity for, for no purpose. For, yeah. For the purpose yeah. of did, did it, it at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is obviously rally you and make you come back down to where they are on a, on a mm-hmm. different plateau on a different level. And when you keep yourself above it. Yeah. You know, you hope they have a realization. You hope for them. You say, man, they just, I hope that they realize that this, once they rise above all this just talking shit to talk shit, mm-hmm. they're going to be in such a better headspace. They're going to be in, they're going to be able to be like present in their life and, and enjoy yeah. what's out there and learn and grow. But, and then you kind of, if you move on with it, yeah, man, all of a sudden, Listen. now you're next level. Now you're growing. Yeah, yeah. dude. And, it's amazing. You know, Here's how I look at uh, human beings, I guess, in a, in, a, in a whole. And obviously, it's just a, the kind of uh, times that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people, they, they have – if you want to get perspective in your life, like 
like I realized, go, go to a nursing home mm-hmm. and see those people that are just screwed up, can't walk, mm-hmm. are messed up, disabled, had medical conditions. And then think of your life in the next 30, 40 years and the road that you're headed down. You know, look at the look at the people that you're talking about, how they express themselves in that negative way, and then consider the stuff that they're not saying in their heads mm. and the stuff that they're keeping to themselves. I firmly believe that the reason a lot of people don't move ahead in life or don't, as much as they can post all these memes and Facebook posts about hashtag goals, hashtag relationship goals, oh, you know, want to live that life one day. You know, everybody has a dream, a mm-hmm. fantasy of what they want to have. But the reason they'll never get it is because this is what they want the world to see in themselves, mm-hmm. to, you know, to, 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 to see in them. Tony Robbins says the number one, the number one, uh, the most powerful thing or something like that about um, the human condition is the need to to feel consistent with the with with your own identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if you identify yourself as being this person, whoever your head thinks that you are, that's who you're going to project to the world. That's what you want the world to believe that you are. If that has negative connotations, if that's a negative frequency, yet you're looking to positive and this and that and all these hashtag goals, Mm -hmm. you're never going to match that frequency in a million freaking years. So you end up with shitty relationships. You'll end up in a job that you can't stand. Mm -hmm. You'll end up finding other ways to escape your reality with alcohol, drugs, sex, promiscuity. You name it, there's a million ways to to do it. And That'll be a perpetual cycle of toxicity for however many years. Then here's the better part. You surround yourself with like-minded people. So you start sharing in this misery that you're you're, you're in. And if you're one step higher, that means your standards are this low, but you're now the one-eyed man in the land of the blind. So now Mm -hmm. you feel like, oh my God, I'm not doing that bad because I'm not as bad as these losers who, you know, just alcoholics and shit. So, so, So then you surround yourself in this bubble, right? You create that routine and habit. And then you got a wife at home that you barely see or that you're at odds with kids that you now are, are you are now functioning under unconscious parenting who are going nuts and berserker in this house who have no rules or discipline. But you're checked the fuck out because you can't stand your damn life. So you're either at the garage building something that no one really cares about mm-hmm. and your wife is drinking wine and your kids are on the Internet being programmed by some virtual, re- you know, by, by by some by Facebook or whatever social social media. Right. And then 20 years pass by, your kids move out of the house, weren't raised properly by you because you were too busy dwelling in your own shit show of a life. Your wife is looking ahead of divorce or maybe cheating on your ass or you're probably cheating on your wife and your life is coming into a mess while your kids are in college now learning, having being taught by some other strangers on how they should think and how they should be and who they should follow and all this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you get to that nursing home stage. Where, where, where Les Brown says, you're sitting in your deathbed and there are all, all, the, uh, all, the, all the spirits we're saying or, 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 or all, the, all your failed dreams, mm-hmm. all your unaccomplished goals, everything that you wanted to do in your entire life that you could have done, you could have pursued the potential you had, 
but you were, but because you were too afraid, because you were living under someone's expectations, because of all these reasons, you never did it. Mm-hmm. And now they're looking at you saying, we were here, man. We gave you a chance. We were dying for you to use us, but you didn't want, to. you just felt other things were more important. And now look at you mm-hmm. in your deathbed. And let me tell you one more thing. Me and my father never got along very well. Mm-hmm. I met him when I was 11 years old. And I moved with him when I was 14. And he, uh, you know, a teenager, right? Ever, I would listen to his rules. Long story short, we had a very tumultuous relationship for a long time. Then I had my, my son. My fiance's father, kind of the same way. But when I had my son, I realized that the relationship with my father were never going to get back. Mm-hmm. But my son could have something that I never had. It's not his fault. So if I could, if what's it going to cost me to mend that relationship? What, what am I going to lose out of it? If I have to act nice and he acts nice, so what if we're acting nice? Right. We're being nice to each other. That's the goal, right? Yeah, we're never probably going to talk about the shit in the past and we're probably never going to re- resolve that. But my son will have a grandfather. Mm-hmm. Because the number one thing that I've realized about people, how they, why they live with such traumatic issues and they can't get over these traumatic issues, especially kids that live in toxic households with abusive parents or alcoholic parents or drug abusive parents who become adults and that parent dies, is the number one thing I always hear. That door never closed. Right. That parent said, I'm sorry when they were dying, but I'm sorry didn't cut it. Mm-hmm. They needed more than an I'm sorry. They needed a whole fucking month to talk about this shit. Right. And the parent who spent their whole lives refusing to say sorry, refusing to mend their age, just refusing to do what was right because their pride, ego, and a million things stopped them, finally said it at the very last minute so they could have peace with themselves or, or God and left that child behind to deal with the fucking buttload of problems right. that that sorry now caused. Mm-hmm. So now we're adding more trauma to these people. And then these people now have to go out and be parents themselves. And it's just a perpetual cycle, bro, that I see across the board with people. And that's why I really feel that, like, this is what I have to do. This is my life. I have to help people like that. And I have to prevent that at all costs. Like I said, the the stories, and and they'll be obviously further in depth as as the book comes out, which we look forward to, uh, The Resurrection Plant, uh, carlosricard.com is the website. Uh, I, I can't say thank you enough for sharing your stories, uh, for your you. inspiration. I think you are you are dead on balls, accurate with uh, all these things you said about everybody needs to take a step back and look at their life and yeah. gather some perspective, be aware, be self-aware, be present in the moment, take a look at your shit. You know, yeah. you know what? Everybody's fucked up. Everybody's We're got all going to suffer. Yeah. Everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. Everybody's got a fucked up part of their past. Yeah, man. Some people put on a better facade. Some people make yeah. it look, they look really fancy and pretty with it. But once you start to accept it and move past yeah. it and, you know, go out and, and find these avenues, you know, go follow Carlos on his socials and watch those damn videos. And, and if you're not inspired, then somebody should probably check your pulse. Cause you, you may be, <laughs> you may be on that deathbed with your, uh, with your dreams and ideas uh, surrounding you. But, um, Thank you so much, and let's uh, let's get you back on as we get closer to uh, to release time. And again, we'll put all the links in the show notes for the podcast. People can link up with you, follow, listen, and uh, and everybody go and be better. And Carlos, thank thank you, you, my friend. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. You're my first podcast, so I can't wait to have many more. Cool, brother. That was great. 
Thank you, man. Thank you, boss. That was so dope, bro.